What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me for a very special Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can check me out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, and make sure you're following Ethos Fantasy BB as well. We're going to have our draft guide coming out next week, so make sure you're following to get any updates on that, any new articles or podcasts we also share out from that site. And, of course, SportsEthos.com is the website for you to get everything right from the source. But we have a very special guest rejoining us on the show today. No need for long preambles. Let's get right into it. Kevin Hastings is rejoining us for the first time in about a year when we did this same thing. We previewed the Kansas City Royals heading into last season. We're going to do it again. Kevin, of course, is one of the hosts on the On The Wire podcast at PitcherList. I've had the pleasure of joining him and Adam Howe on that show. It is great for Fab. If you guys are not listening to it, you definitely should be in the offseason as well. They're going through great stuff, but in season for Fab. Definitely one of the best podcasts you can be listening to. And, of course, you can follow Kevin on Twitter, at Hasting Kevin. Kevin, it's great to see you again. How you been doing, man? Been doing awesome, Joe. Thank you so much. Doing even better talking baseball with a good friend this morning, especially uh, Kansas City Royals. Absolutely, yeah. We've had the pleasure of golfing together a couple times, of hanging out over a couple of beers in Arizona. And, yeah, we've become uh, good friends over the last couple of years, and I always think of you when I do think of the Kansas City Royals. You're definitely uh, the guy that the mind goes to right away for me. What do you think of this offseason so far? Um, before we get into the the individual players, how do you think of the way that they have gone so far this offseason? They've added a few bats to the lineup, a couple of pitchers as well. What's your outlook right now? It, it it really culminated last week with this extension that they signed Bobby Witt Jr. to. Uh, I know many of the signings earlier in the offseason, while they were getting uh, a lot of talk, a lot of publicity, they, they, they weren't necessarily superstars. And, and you were very vocal about that on Twitter and, and on the podcast. And, and, and I agreed to with what you were saying to an extent. However, as a Royals fan, this is huge. We haven't done this in a long time. Even if it is Seth Lugo and Hunter Renfro, we have not made these offseason signings in a long time. And then to lock up Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, with some opt-outs, of course, but for 11 to 14 years, uh, possibly for his career to play in Kansas City, uh, this is this is the best Kansas City offseason since uh following the 2015 World Series for Royals fans, by far. Yeah, I I, I might have gone a little bit too far in, in criticizing them because they are they are making moves and they are, you know, as a Blue Jay fan, I would have I would have killed to have some of the moves that they've done this offseason. Um I, I think that maybe my point was was kind of I don't know. I don't think I articulated it well to say that maybe they just were maybe being overhyped a little bit that people were thinking this was going to be a, a massive, massive season for them. I think that they're going to be a lot better than last year. I still think that we're probably looking at a team that's probably going to be below 500. Is that fair? Do you think they have a chance to actually you know, win 85 games and compete for the division? It's possible. Things have to go right. I, I, I don't think you would project them for being over 500. I also don't think it would surprise many people if they are a little over 500. That's totally fair. Um, let's get into it though. Let's start talking about the individual players and we're going to start at the top of the lineup. MJ Melendez is probably not as interesting as he was last year because he doesn't have catcher eligibility, but you're now getting him at a very cheap price. He's going close to pick 300 
And there's a lot of people who've talked about him as being a, a kind of a big bounce back candidate. He's projected for generally about 20 home runs, five to seven steals, and about a 240 batting average uh, across the various systems, which is not bad, close to pick 300. Are you interested in MJ Melendez this year? What's your outlook on him for 2024, Kev? I, I am more interested than I thought I would be. Uh, uh, he and like Dalton Varsho, the, of course, the the two catcher eligible players being drafted much earlier last season than this season. Um, but for as far as they have dropped, I, I am interested. I didn't think I would be, but they've dropped further than I thought they would. And I think, like you said, uh, going to uh, pick near 300, these are guys that have potential to be valuable, uh, even in some shallower formats. MJ Melendez is not going to lead off, I don't believe, for Kansas City. Uh, Mike Curland has tweeted about this a, a few weeks back. I completely agree. Most of the second half of the season, the leadoff hitter was Michael Garcia. This brings to question how far down does MJ Melendez drop? because they're not going to hit him ninth either, I don't believe. Uh, but so he probably ends up somewhere in that middle third that will bring the plate appearances down, RBI up, hopefully. Uh, so that's going to be something to watch right away in spring training once they start uh, playing these starters every day is where exactly is MJ Melendez hitting in the lineup. It's interesting because he's a pretty high on base guy. So you'd figure they'd want to keep him somewhere close to the top of the order. They do have some some decent on base options. Do you think there's any chance that potentially Bobby Witt could see some time in the leadoff spot, or is that unrealistic? Right. Absolutely, he could. I think they'd rather keep him in the two spot. They they have if you look at their their lineup on on roster resource, and this is the uh, the players I I do believe that are going to be in the starting lineup most days, and. It's interesting. They they have a pretty good uh, left right uh, alternating lineup going with with their hitters. So it, it would make sense just to move Garcia to the top and drop everybody down a spot. But I don't think they want to drop Wit all the way to third. I wouldn't think. I think they want to leave him at second. So that's it's going to be really interesting to see how the this lineup plays out with Garcia and and the top four or five guys. It's been really interesting to see, as a side note, the trend of a team's best hitter batting second as opposed to third now more and more commonplace over the last couple of seasons. An extra few at-bats uh, over the course of the season in that case. Bobby Wood Jr. had an insane year last year, and I have to you know, you know, know, wear that, that I was not really in on him. I didn't want to pay the first-round price last year based off of one season where he was, I think, the 45th, 50th-ranked player or so in 2022, and it burned me. He was absolutely incredible nearly a 30-50 season, and I don't care what the environment is for stolen bases. People are going to downplay the stolen base accomplishments for him and for Acuna, but that is damn impressive, nearly 30 and 50. He also raised the batting average to 276, and you know, despite the fact that the team was not very good, he still had 97 runs and 96 RBIs. He seems to be uh, you know, about as safe of a bet as there is this year outside of Ronald Acuna Jr., I'm not sure if you've drawn the number two pick, but if you have, uh, or if you will, would that be Bobby Wood Jr. without question for you, or is there any room for debate there? Oh, there's definitely room for debate, but I I have had the number two pick, and I did take Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, I, you know, fantasy baseball is fun. It, number one on the list for for most of us that play it's still all about fun so if there's debate at all about a superstar on on my favorite team and at a pick uh 
I'm, I'm going to go the fun route. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree there. You want to have a rooting interest in, in your players to some extent, you know, you don't want to reach a couple of rounds to take a player, but in this kind of case, it's not like you're reaching to take Bobby Wood Jr. Um, he is, you know, there's a, there's a world where he finishes as the number one player this year, all the talk of Acuna, but, you know, how often do we see the number one player actually repeat in consecutive years? There's a chance that Bobby Witt could be that number one player. And if you look at the bad X projections, they think the batting average will go up even further. They're projecting 31 homers, 106 runs, the 288 batting average, just an absolute stud. And they're projecting a five and a half win season for war. Uh, the bad X is definitely very, very in on Bobby Witt. And it's hard to hard to go against what they're saying there. Now, Salvador Perez is a little bit more of an interesting one for me this year. I can't say that I'm terribly interested. The price is a little bit lower than we're generally seeing Sal Perez. He's going about pick 130 to 140 type of range. I'm just worried at this point of his career that we're going to just see uh, a bit more decline as he continues to age. Are you interested in Salvador Perez around pick 130? Is he somebody that you'd be comfortable with as your first catcher in a two-catcher league or even as your sole catcher in a one-catcher league? How, what's your What's your worry level as he gets older here? I think it's it, uh, it, it's warranted, and we've seen that o- over the past couple of seasons. He does miss time. Uh, he's had issues with eyes. Uh, he's a very physical catcher. He's always getting banged up. He misses a little bit of time here and there. We've seen him slide into the designated hitter spot in the lineup. We've seen him play first base when Vinny Pasquantino, Pasquantino missed time last season. Um, hopefully, Vinny P is healthy. And hopefully that DH spot is, is filled by uh, another hitter we'll talk about here in a moment that it, hopefully he's performing well. And so we don't see all these extra plate appearances that we like to see our catchers get. With that said, I, he's going to be in, in the top five or six catchers in the league in plate appearances. Uh, when he is healthy, he doesn't take days off. Uh, he will get some of those DH appearances, and the power's still there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think this the 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 cost is is what's key here. Yes, I I agree. Uh, there will probably be a, a little more decline in skills. I think there's still warrant um, being a, a a top six or seven catcher, and right there at that spot around 130s, right about where he should be taken. Do you think he's still going to catch enough that he's catcher eligible next year? Or is Freddie Fermin going to take over that role, you think, at some point, and maybe we see Sal slide into a, a more DH-only role? That's just complete conjecture, but do you think there's a chance that this is the last year of catcher eligibility for him? No, I think that's still a couple of years away. It, it may start trending that direction, but uh, barring a, a catastrophic injury, he, he will get 20 20 uh, games behind the plate okay i figured he would i'm just curious uh what you think about for and i guess we can kind of touch on for me i've seen him as a very popular late round pick uh in fab leagues as you know you're just punting on your second catcher going for for um do you have any interest in doing that kind of thing do you think he'll play enough this year where that is kind of a viable strategy i i have taken for uh, in a couple of really early drafts um i will probably be looking to replace him in those leagues uh, when the first fab period comes around that's what's great about drafting fab leagues early is you can still make changes prior to the season um it, it's just the way it's shaking out i i don't think he's going to get the playing time now he is he is one of those catchers that 
I don't think he's going to get enough playing time as the backup catcher to warrant being in a weekly lineup. Definitely keep an eye on him in your daily change formats. And he is someone that everybody will be running to the waiver wire for if there's a Salvador Perez injury or even another Vinny Pasquantino injury. That will get Freddie Fermin into the conversation in two catcher leagues for sure. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that happening. And to your point about drafting early, the first draft I did this year, well, I guess technically the second, although the both of the first two drafts I did were with you. One of them was in Arizona, <laughs> and the other one was the On the Wire Listener League. And and in that Listener League, I was able to set the max pick on Bobby Witt Jr. I got him at seven. Um, I don't wow. think anybody's got him later than that, but that's just you know the appeal of drafting early. People hadn't really figured out their values fully. And uh, I don't think I'll be getting another <laughs> pick seven Bobby Wood Jr., but definitely fun to be drafting early. It can definitely hurt a little bit if you took a Max Scherzer, a Walker Bueller, a Brandon Woodruff, but uh, there's definitely some fun that you can have there as well. Let's talk Vinny P. Vinny P, for me, is a great buy this season. You know, I don't ha- think there's much change in terms of the skill from last year, and we were projecting him as a top 100 player coming into 2023. He got hurt. He tore the labrum. He had so uh, he had surgery, and now he's I think the same guy that he was about a year ago, except he's a hundred picks cheaper. I think people are just kind of worried that he may re-injure something, but I see him as a huge buy this year. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it after doing a, a few drafts, I realized that I needed to stop drafting first baseman as early as I had been. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the players I'd been drafting. Uh, Pete Alonzo, Bryce Harper, Vlad, love these guys. But then what I was realizing, and then I was grabbing somebody like uh, Yandy Diaz or Josh Naylor as my corner, and then I was getting down here in this range you're talking about, and I still love many of these first basemen, Vinny P, Paredes, Reese Hoskins. There's, and so what I realized after the first couple of drafts I did is that I had been drafting first basemen to all together too early and there's a lot of value down here in this 160 to 190 range and so yeah i love Vinny pasquantino in this spot i think we need to avoid the same draft rooms because i am <laughs> on the exact same page as you i've taken freddie freeman this year i've taken yeah. Vlad. i've taken cody bellinger once um, but once you start getting past pick 100 and you see triple eligible Spencer Steer, you see Torkelson coming off of 30 homers, Yandy Diaz, who's projected as one of the 10 best hitters in baseball, Naylor, who if it wasn't for injuries would have probably got MVP votes. There are so many great first base values past pick 100 and even beyond pick 200, you could argue a guy like Ryan Mountcastle going at pick 240, uh, Anthony Rizzo past 300, like first base is very, very, very deep. So you don't have to avoid you know, the Freemans and the Vlads and the Pete Alonzo's of the world. But when there's so much value down the board, I think it does make sense to take care of some more scarce positions or typically scarce positions, second base, third base, get a couple of pitchers, maybe a a closer. You don't need to worry about first base because there is so much value down the board. And I think Vinny P is is a huge example of that. You could very easily see 20 plus homers with a 285 batting average, um, in that lineup where you're probably getting 85 runs, 85 ribbies or so. Batting right behind Bobby Wood Jr. and Sal Perez, he's not going to lack for RBI opportunities. So I, I think that there's a lot that could go right for Vinny P. And I think it's mostly just people are kind of a little bit scared of something happening injury-wise again. I'll take that chance close to pick 200 for sure. 
Hunter Renfro is one of the new additions this offseason. What are your thoughts on Hunter Renfro at this point? We've seen him very recently, just a couple of years ago, hit 31 home runs. He's been consistently upper 20s, low 30s, good RBI guy. And he's not someone who typically kills your batting average either. I think he's a pretty safe late round outfield target at this point. What are your thoughts on Hunter Renfro, though, Kev? I think he's a nice, safe spot if you're lacking up power at that point in the draft. I have zero issue drafting him there. I think there will be some days that uh, he's out of the lineup, not not a, a strict platoon or anything, uh, but I'm probably looking at about 120 games uh, played getting the day off here and there they'll move Velasquez to right field and let Salvi DH that day or they'll move Kyle Isbell over and let Blanco get a start for a day so I think that Renfro will get a day off here and there but more closer to an everyday player than a platoon player and then I I think we're we're gonna see a little bit of a bounce back I don't expect 31 home runs but I expect more like 25, 26 than the 20 he had in 2023. I think he's he was very close to the player he has been last season. Uh, we just didn't see as many home runs. Yeah, the average came back down a little more to what we more expected out of him than the previous two seasons. But yeah. even at 230, 240, I think he's a 25 home run hitter in 120 games. Yeah, I'm there with you. The ISO was kind of shockingly low last year at 183. First time he's ever had an ISO below 200, in fact, below 236. I don't think that will continue. He's not at the point of going off a a cliff for age. He just turned 32, so there's still a a good few years left in the bat, I think. And if you're getting 120 games or so, 125 games, let's call it, with 25 homers, 75 RBIs, maybe a 240 batting average, I mean, his current price is 340 uh, from what I'm looking at here. I'm looking at 12 team drafts since January 1st. He's not very expensive at this point. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take a chance on him a couple times. Like Kev said, if you need a little bit of power late, I, I think he does make a lot of sense. Michael Massey is an interesting one. Now, he's projected to platoon from what I'm seeing here. I think with maybe Garrett Hampson, there might be some Adam Frazier in the mix as well there at second base. But let's start off with Massey. Um, what are your thoughts on his outlook for this season? He put together 15 homers and six ribbies last year, over 129 games. Nothing that's going to set the world on fire, um, but he is a, a fairly cheap piece from what I remember this year. Uh, where is his ADP? He hasn't um, been drafted in a 12-team online championship yet. Yeah, so he's, he's not a being, starting second baseman. That's weird he's not getting drafted in 12s. If you're looking at, at draft champions, 15-team um, leagues, he's going to about pick 379. But you'd figure that would still be in the range for 12-teamers, for even in the reserve rounds. It's kind of strange that he hasn't been drafted yet. Yeah, um, it, he is the biggest wild card in this lineup, in my opinion. Has the shortest leash of any player in this lineup uh however there's potential here so this is interesting shallower leagues i don't think i would be drafting him even late he'd be somebody that i would be comfortable that will be available on the wire if things begin to work out the way that uh many in, in the royals organization hope they can um he could end up being a little more than the strong side of a platoon, but I wouldn't expect that. His his projection 
mid 400s plate appearances is probably what we're looking at. And then we're looking at, you know, mid double digit home runs and uh, a handful of stolen bases in deeper leagues. That definitely has value as a middle infielder. He's somebody that I'm really keeping an eye on though, because he's Garrett Hampson, as you said, right now is a utility guy. Adam Frazier, the same. Nick Lofton, somebody I really like coming up through the Kansas City organization, could see a lot of playing time with the Kansas City Royals this season. If so, things probably did not go well for Michael Massey. So he's he's somebody I'm really keeping an eye on. But in deep leagues, you have the strong side of a platoon player not being drafted. That's somebody to keep an eye on, even if it's just on a waiver wire. Yeah, strong side of a platoon is essentially full-time. It's not – I mean, I know we, we can kind of split hairs a little bit, but that's like one – how many lefties does the average team have? Maybe one lefty, maybe two. But in the rotation, most teams are – you're looking at one lefty. A, a strong side platoon player is still – he's maybe sitting one day a week, so it shouldn't preclude you from putting these guys into your weekly lineups, I don't think, anyway. And I think Massey probably is worth a, a shot even at the end uh, of your draft and that's not for you know your standard if you're drafting a yahoo team where there's 270 players or so he's he's not worth it there but if there's 450 players being drafted something in that range 450 500 players i think he does make sense as kind of a dart throw maybe it works out maybe it doesn't but at that point you can kind of drop him and be okay with it and even if it is a draft champions i think where he is going three three eighty four hundred range I, I think it's fairly reasonable still I, I don't think that that's you know a crazy price to be paying for him Nelson Velasquez is somebody that I've heard talked about a lot as people are praying for a full-time role. I was listening to the Bubba and the Bloom podcast the other night, which I know that you also listen to. And they said that if he gets a, a full season, they could see him going 35, 40 home runs pretty easily. He went 17 in only 53 games last year. The projections are a little bit lower than what you'd expect based on what I just said, but they're also pretty low in terms of games played. ATC has him for 23 homers and seven steals in only 108 games. If we saw a full season from Velasquez, Kev, what do you think what we would see? Would we see a 30 home run, 10 steal type of season from him? I, I absolutely think so. And uh, the projections uh, agree on on a, on a rate basis, right? You give him 600 plate appearances and we're up to well over 30 home runs and double digit stolen bases. And I don't think we get to 600 plate appearances, but I do think we can get closer to 500 than the 400 he's projected for, which already gets us close to 30 home runs by an ATC projection. Yeah. So absolutely, his power is unbelievable. And if you've been watching any of the highlights uh, of of the 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 series taking place down down south over the winter, he is still just crushing baseballs. Yeah. I've drafted him a few times. I drafted him over the weekend at the surf draft as a, my fifth outfielder. I believe he might've been my first reserve, but I, I think he was my fifth outfielder. I think there's something here. Uh, it's just a matter of if they're going to get him enough playing time to make it worth your while. But I still think at, at the going rate, which is about 285, sometimes he goes past 300. Sometimes he's closer to 250, but that potential, like he, we could be talking about him as maybe a top 100 player at the end of the season if he does, you know, fall into closer to full time playing time. A 30 and 10 bat, I, I don't know that anybody's going to project that necessarily, but I mean, they're projecting 23 and seven over about two thirds of a season. So 
I think we're all kind of dreaming on what we could see for a, a full season of Nelson Velasquez at this point. Kyle Isbell is also somebody that is, I think, a little bit interesting. I don't have like a ton of interest in shallow leagues, but I think as more of a deep league target, somebody who's going to play probably 100 games, likely double-digit homers and steals, I think that he's a, a draft champion's target for me at this point. I haven't actually got to him, um, but I think that's the format where he makes the most sense. And where, where are you at right now on Kyle Isbell? I agree 100%. He's a, he's great for the draft champions format. As Kyle Isbell's season goes, uh, he's determining his playing time. The Royals want him to be their everyday center fielder. If he can do just enough with the bat, then he is only being projected for two-thirds of the plate appearances he will actually get. And then we're looking at a 15-15 guy. So he in a draft and hold, he's a perfect type of player. Um, uh, uh, like Michael Massey, no need to draft him uh, in 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 shallower leagues. Even even in fifteen team thirty round drafts, many of them he's not being drafted. And but but keep an eye out if if, if he's getting on base, they will turn him loose. And he does run into a home run every once in a while. And and if that is happening then he's playing closer to, if not over 150 games rather than 100. They want him in center field every day if he's performing enough with a bat. Yeah. I mean, he's not going till pick 530 or so at that point, uh, you know, upside for playing time with double digit homer and steel potential. He, he's, he's perfect for that draft champions format. Um, not for somebody to target in your tens and 12 team leagues, but as the deeper you get, the more appealing he does as well. Now, we mentioned him off the top, but Michael Garcia, he had a very interesting year last year. He batted 272 with 23 steals. He's not going to be a big power asset, but the projections are pretty damn good. And if he does find his way to the top of the lineup, that's where we could see um, you know, this change entirely for him. Because right now he's projected to bat ninth based on roster resource. You think, and I believe Curlin does as well, that we'll see him slot into the leadoff spot sometimes or maybe even more permanently. Um, have you drafted Garcia? Are you interested in him at this point? He, he seems to be one of the more reasonably priced players on the Royals. He's going at pick 215, 220 kind of range. Uh, where's your interest level right now? Yeah, it's it's funny because early in draft season, I thought I would be able to get him later than that. So yeah. I was missing out. And, but I have adjusted because I still think that's a, a fair price, and I, I have drafted him. Yes, I do. I, I 100% think he's moving to the top of the lineup. Okay. After July 1st of last season, he was the leadoff hitter all but a, a handful of games the Royals played and performed well. Got on, got on base at uh, over uh, a 32% clip. We're not going to see any power. Here's the curious thing about Michael Garcia. He was caught seven of the 17 times that he attempted to steal a base after July 1st. That doesn't, that doesn't correlate with what we saw everybody else doing last season and our success rates uh, in, in stolen base attempts. That's something to keep an eye on. Uh, that, in my opinion, is the only thing that might drop him down in the lineup is if they don't think he is an efficient enough base dealer because they are going to turn guys loose. So, but after July 1st, he was up there. I I think that's where we're going to see him. Uh, Many in the Royals organization think there is a little bit of power here, 
Uh, I don't think it's anything we can count on, especially not yet, but he might surprise us and, and get us close, closer to double digit home runs. That would just be icing on the cake. Yeah. If he's able to get you 10 and I mean, he's projected for only 126 games. If he's able to play closer to 140, I could see him getting 10 homers. You could easily see him getting 25 to 30 steals. He's a pretty solid batting average asset. He was 272 last year. He's projected for about 265 to 270. So that's pretty solid as well. And, and I think the price is right. Um, if, if he is the leadoff hitter like you guys are thinking, and I think there's a good chance, just the more I look at him, he's been a good walk rate guy. He gets a lot of base hits. He's always had a pretty decent batting average. He does make sense at the top of that order. Uh, that would make the 220 price that you're paying for him look pretty damn good right now if he's batting right ahead of Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, the runs would be, God only knows what the runs would look like batting right ahead of Bobby Witt Jr. You could maybe, maybe outside shot at 100 if he is every day in that leadoff spot. But that's uh, maybe a pipe dream to get 100 runs out of him, but I still think that he's going to be a pretty good value going after pick 200, assuming he doesn't jump up. Now, if he's leading off in spring training, we might see that price jump a little bit but I still think it's going to be fairly reasonable. I don't see him going a hundred picks up or something like that. I still think he'll be roughly in the two hundreds. And, and I think he can take a shot, a shot at that point. Um, Adam Frazier is another new addition. And I, when this signing first happened, I was pretty intrigued. I, I feel like he'll play enough where he does make sense again as a deeper league player, as like a draft champions target, he's going to pick six twenty five. He's somebody who can play all over the field. The last three seasons, we've seen him get into 155, 156, and 141 games, respectively. Potential double-digit homers and, and speed with a guy who's shown that he can be a 260, 270 type of hitter. I think he makes sense as a, as a depth piece in a draft and hold. Kev, uh, where, where are you thinking right now for Adam Frazier? What's the playing time going to look like? Uh, I'm in the same spot. Uh, nice depth spot in a, in a draft and hold. It, he, he's one of these guys that I can't project him for the playing time right now, um, yeah. but he always seems to find it, right? Aledmus Diaz, these types of guys that we can take late in draft and holds, and by the end of the season, we end up using them a lot. And yeah. that that's what Adam Frazier is. When, when, when they first signed him, I was a little confused. I was like, Oh, this is just for depth. I don't even see him making his way into this lineup. They had already signed Garrett Hampson to be the utility guy. Uh, once again, I'm big on Nick Lofton that can fill in in this spot. But I think the the more and more that I hear uh, talk amongst uh, people that follow the Royals, they're expecting him to to get some plate appearances in this lineup. They want him to be one of the main utility guys. Uh, I didn't see that. It's probably bad news for my Nick Lofton love, but uh, uh, to start the season, he, he's, he's probably going to have some opportunities. He's played in his career all over the field. And that's something that teams will obviously love. He's played second, short, third, left. He's played all outfield positions. The only positions he hasn't played in his career are first base and catcher. So you'll see him probably slotting in uh, at a bunch of different spots this year. Again, not that he's going to be you know, a superstar sleeper or anything like that, but just as a deeper league player, um, you might be able to count on those at-bats later on in the season at some point. And we know in those draft champions, uh, you need to have some at-bats later on in the season. Um, let's talk about Deron Blanco a little bit because I've heard a lot of people mention him as a sleeper in terms of the speed you're going to get. He's going to pick 650 or so. And the speed is just unbelievable. He had 24 steals in 69 games in the big league level last year. And he stole 47 in his 49 AAA games. So you're looking at a 70 steal season out of him. 
in about 130 games. It's a matter of the playing time. Is there going to be enough playing time for Daron Blanco that you're actually going to be able to see enough of these steals on your roster every week? In a deep league, uh, I, I think there's some value here. It's yeah. it's it's interesting. He's not going to get a lot of starts, but he doesn't need them. Yeah. He's going to be a defensive replacement late in games. He's going to be a pinch runner late in games. He's going to have probably it, – it's hard to project this, right? Even ATC has him at 13 stolen bases in only 113 plate appearances. They are figuring this in a little bit already, that he doesn't need plate appearances to get stolen bases. But he very easily could steal over 20 bases again for Kansas City. He will be the guy to give Kyle Isbell a break in center field from time to time. Once again, leading in replacement all over the outfield. And he actually does get on base for somebody with his type of speed. And so and they're, they're going to use him, especially late in games and then the starter two each week in you know, the Royals, when they have a seven-game week and you need a couple stolen bases, throw them in there for the week. The power is actually not a zero either. Like, there's 14 home runs in AAA at, in 2022 over just 107 games. It's not massive power, but I think you could probably run into a couple as well, maybe see five home runs or something like that. I think the biggest problem with the speed is knowing when it's going to come. You know, you might start him in your lineup for a week or two weeks where it looks good and he doesn't get a steal and there might just be one time where he pops in as a pinch runner and steals second and then steals third for you one week so it might be kind of hard to, to pinpoint exactly but if you are in need of speed in the middle of summer you could probably just slot him into your utility spot uh, for for a couple of weeks and you'll you'll rack up a few for sure it's just a matter of when they are going to come that's the problem with a player like him uh the billy hamilton types um, let's talk a little bit now about the starting rotation and if you missed last Friday's show, uh, Eno Saris and Nick Pollock were here, and we spent about 25 minutes talking about Cole Reagans, of course. Whenever Nick Pollock is around, you know Reagans is going to be a hot topic. I'm down on Reagans for a couple of reasons. I think the price is a little bit too expensive for me. I worry about the lack of command that he had down the stretch last year. The schedule, as much as Nick pushed back on this, I think the schedule was a, a little bit light. Uh, in order to fully evaluate him. Now, he does have a full arsenal of pitches. He is somebody where we could see him grow exponentially, and Nick made the comparison um, to Corbin Burns in 2020, how we were all kind of not sure how to rank Corbin Burns for the following year, and we saw what happened, of course. Now, I don't know if Nick was directly comparing the two, but definitely interesting to think about what could be with Cole Reagans. I'm just a little bit worried at the price point right now. What are your thoughts on Cole Reagans for 2024, Kev? Well, that price point is my fault. Um, <laughs> I've been drafted. I've been drafting him uh, fairly early in almost every draft I've been in. Uh, absolutely love him as an SP three. I've drafted him as an SP two in, in leagues as well. Uh, yeah, I'm just excited. He obviously did wear down i believe i believe he wore down a little bit at, at the end of the season that's where we saw the the walk numbers go up and and him give up um a few more runs over the last handful of games of the season um i'm not concerned about that uh, i think it was just uh end of the year long season more innings than he had thrown in a while 
And uh, yeah, I, all of those different pitches that can all miss bats, like, you know, being a Royals fan and being a pitcher list and hearing Nick Pollock talk about him all the time, um, he he has rapidly uh, risen to be one of my favorite players in the league. I was definitely more intrigued after talking with Nick for sure. Um, he's going about pick 110, and it's the guys who are in the range around him. I, I don't have as much certainty about that range as I did a while back, especially because Walker Bueller was a guy I was targeting in that range until – we found out he's going to miss part of the season. Uh, he's not going to start the year anyway. We talked about that on the show yesterday. There's the young Tanner Bybee, the you know the inconsistent at best Dylan Cease right around him there as well. Sonny Gray, who you're buying him off of a career season. There's a lot not to like in that range, and I think I could be persuaded into taking Cole Reagans once or twice. Nick did uh, lay out a pretty strong case for him that you know he. he you don't see a fluke of that nature over over the time that we saw, which was about 12 starts, I believe, 11, 12 starts. It wasn't one or two you know, great appearances. He was very, very good for the entire second half of the season. That being said, I don't know that I will end up drafting him. He just the fear of the unknown kind of makes me nervous. And sometimes you miss out on players, you know, like I did last year with Bobby Witt Jr. I just don't know how many times I'm actually going to click on on Cole Reagans this year. And I might miss out. I might miss out. And I think that's just a, kind of a risk everybody's going to have to weigh on their own if they want to, to take a chance on Cole Reagans. I think it's probably worthwhile the more that I look into it. But it's not without its risks as well. Now, he's he's clearly the ace of this rotation at this point. You guys brought in a couple of interesting arms, specifically Michael Waka. Michael Waka has, under the radar, been excellent for the last two seasons you're looking at a 320 or 332 and then a 322 era over the last two seasons and that's over 47 starts with two different teams it's been very impressive now will he uh, continue this in kansas city the projections are not very kind to michael waka ranging from about a 4-4 to even close to a 5 era from the bat what do you think we're going to see from him this year is he still somebody that has some magic left in him is he worth investing in one more time kev I, I think he's somebody in, in deep leagues that, that I'd be okay with uh, having at the end of my staff. Um, this it's th- this is where me being a Royals fan and watching a lot of Royals games and, and remembering some of the success some other pitchers coming to Kauffman Stadium have had over the years, and that's my hope. I also know that it, in, in spite of what, he has done for the past couple of seasons that it it does not appear that that his skills back that up if there is somewhere that's going to help him continue to outperform those underlying metrics it is Kauffman Stadium uh with the defense that the Royals will put out there Uh, because Kauffman does actually it, it plays well for runs scored for hitters just not for home runs but so Guys like Waka, though, when he does seem to get in trouble, it is because of the home run. With the defense Kansas City puts out there in that massive outfield, that these are the kind of pitchers it can help. So that's the hope. That is what I will assume will continue throughout the season if it's what I see to begin the season. Uh, I, I think he's somebody that if I do draft and do have him in my starting lineup to, to start the season, I'd be ready to, to yank early and and make him prove it to me for multiple games before 
I put him back in my lineup. Uh, but I, I, once again, with many of these Royals play, players, it's the, the general perception is still that they're a bad baseball team and maybe they're not very good. But many of these players at where they're being drafted due to that perception that there there's some format where they have a value and Michael Walker is not any different. Yeah, I think if you're looking where he's being drafted, close to pick 300, even if there's a chance that he's able to have one more season, like, I mean, Adam Wainwright, who was his old teammate for a while, we never thought there you know, would be one more season in Wainwright and then two more and then three more. And he just kind of kept outrunning his uh, peripheral, peripheral stats there for a couple of years. And Walk has kind of done that over the last couple of years. Who's to say he couldn't do it one more time? Like you said, you got to be kind of ready in case the wheels do fall off because that is a definite possibility. But there's also a chance that we see a 3-7 ERA from him and he's able to be one of the best values at ADP this year. So I think he's worth taking even in like a 12-teamer as maybe your last pick. You know, that's kind of where he is if you're talking your standard 12-team home league style, Yahoo, ESPN, whatever. There's about 270, 300 players drafted in those leagues. So if he's your last pick, if he pans out, he pans out. You know, you Sometimes you get lucky with your last pick. In my home league last year, the last player off the board, the very last player selected was by me, and it was Sonny Gray. And sometimes you just luck into those ones. I'm not saying Waka is going to be in the Cy Young conversation, but I never expected Sonny Gray would be in the Cy Young conversation either. So you never know. You never know. And I think Waka is reasonably priced enough where you can kind of take a chance on him. Seth Lugo is the other addition also coming uh, by, by way of San Diego. I think I'm a little more interested in Lugo um, than Waka. They're, I think they're pretty close overall. Their price is very similar as well, 265 for Lugo. I think maybe he's a slightly better pitcher than Waka. The supporting metrics would tend to tell you that. Uh, but what's your interest level on Seth Lugo in year one here? Very similar to, to yeah. what I said about Michael Waka. I, I mean, he, I, you could almost just rewind listen to what i said about waka yeah. and, and that's how i feel about lugo as well uh i think he can be valuable especially in deeper leagues um I, the the ballpark will help him outperform his, his underlying skills hopefully which he has done for most of his career uh and so the the transition back to starter after not starting games since 2020 went well obviously in 2023 we'll see how that sticks but yeah in, in general I, I he's somebody that i will be quick to to uh, to give the hook to but uh, i'd be willing to give him a shot in deeper leagues yeah it's it's very similar analysis for lugo and for waka it's the spider-man meme for those of you who are online let's talk about brady singer brady singer i uh, was very surprised to see what happened to him this past season it was not a good year for him after a really really strong coming out party in 2022 he almost doubled his era it was 552 he didn't have the same strikeout rates that we'd seen over his first couple of years it went down to 18.9 percent the walks went back up a little bit still to a modest seven percent but that whip at 145 the era at 552 the bright spot here is that the market's kind of given up on Brady Singer. And if you want to buy into the bounce back, it's not going to cost you much at all. He's going after pick 400, well after pick 400 at 445 uh, in the new year. I think at that point, you kind of, you can take a chance on him in a deeper league. I wouldn't take a chance on him in a, in a shallow league, but for the chance of a, of a, even if it's a slight bounce back, I mean, 
his um, advanced metrics last year were were not nearly as bad as that 552 ERA. So I think you can kind of project somewhat of a bounce back from Brady Singer. Are you interested though, Kevin? Would you be drafting him this year? Uh, late, I think he's worth taking a shot on here. I, I think you know we we've talked about or many have talked about over the past couple of seasons of Brady Singer needing a third pitch. And he was very vocal publicly about he did not believe that he did. He, in interviews, said, no, I don't need a third pitch. Yes, Brady Singer, you are not Spencer Strider. You need a third pitch. And when it doesn't even have to be fantastic, but he, if, if he learns to throw that change up and trust it and throw it just a little more often in games, I think that's the success we saw in 2022 and that that semi breakout that many were hoping would continue in 2023. So this is the the organization's gone through a lot of changes and the R and D changes as well. And hopefully somebody gets to Brady Singer and gets him to develop this third pitch enough that he can utilize it in games. If we start to see that in spring training, draft him. The Royals play a seven-game week the first full week of the season. He's listed as their fourth starter. That's We're, we're starting streaming pitchers already. You're saving yourself a few fab dollars that first week of the season if you draft Brady Singer with your last pick. If he's looking good in spring training, you throw him out there for that two-start week, the first full week of the season. If not, if we're not seeing what we hope to see, he's not even on your team that first week. He's already your first drop, that first fab run. Yeah, um, the, the way that they have it listed him as the fourth starter, I could see him getting the ball the second day of the season and then, like you said, a two-start week there. I'm not sure how the rotations are going to shake out in terms of order after Reagans. I think Reagans is, is going to get the ball opening day. But after that, it's kind of uh, anybody's guess. But there could very well be a two-star Brady Singer week there. And like I've said, that could be very valuable. Save yourself some fab dollars if you're taking him uh, you know, with your last pick. And that's kind of where he is in the fab league, right, in terms of ADP, 450 or so. Not that it really matters at that point with your last pick. You can have to follow ADP. Um, but he's right in that range there. Do we need to talk about Jordan Lyles? Is there really anything to say about Jordan Lyles? I, I'm so it's interesting. The Tout Wars League that I'm going to be in is innings pitched instead of wins. Innings pitched are something that's a strength for Jordan Lyles, but that's probably about it at that point. I'm not very interested. But if you are in just an innings pitch league, I think it gets a little more interesting, no? Yeah, and the ratios will be better than they were last season, I believe. I just still don't know that i i that those innings are a good thing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the ratio categories right for jordan lyles um i think he'll i think he'll be better than he was last season and uh, i think being the five rather than the the two behind brady singer uh was where he was slotted in last season um i think he can go out there and 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 do what they signed him to do last season which he basically did he just gave up 39 home runs, right? You cut that number in half, which easily could happen just from volatility of home runs. And then his, his ratios aren't nearly as bad. And if he goes out and gives them the innings that he gave them last season as a five, now that's not so bad in real baseball terms. I don't see any fantasy baseball um, appeal here. 
Yeah, I think you're probably right. Just a hope and a dream there. Um, just thinking about this format because innings pitch, I've never played in one before. But yeah, I don't think I'm going to be taking Jordan Lyles. If I'm taking Jordan Lyles, the draft has not gone the way that I was hoping for. <laughs> right. Let's put it that way. Now, in terms of the injured guys, is Chris Bubich going to be back at some point? This I think he probably will be back late in the year, right? Because he had his Tommy John surgery early in 2023. So maybe September, August, September type of deal for Chris Bubich. It would be really late if things are going well for Kansas City. Maybe we see him um, get some innings out of the bullpen once the minor league seasons are over. But I think they're going to try to start stretching him out. Uh, so he'd, he'd definitely start with a rehab assignment in the minors first. But we may see him out of the bullpen late in the season. Uh, if things are going well for Kansas City, um, that that we, we definitely see him into some move into some higher leverage situations out of the bullpen probably he was a darling last year until he got hurt he was uh you know somebody who does a fab podcast i'm sure you talked quite a bit about chris bubich last year he was uh he was a darling until he got hurt until he wasn't the bullpen is where we get the headaches here the true headaches because if you just look at roster resource on fan crafts there are four guys projected as the co-closers and I have no shame in saying I've never heard of one of them. As somebody who does fantasy baseball analysis myself, I've never heard of one of these guys. But let's start it with James MacArthur. And the first time I really took note of MacArthur is I saw, I believe it was you who drafted him in our in our November draft in Arizona. And I started looking into him a little bit because, again, I wasn't terribly familiar. But a lot of very smart people, including yourself, are interested in MacArthur. Do you think that he's going to start the year with the closer job? Do you think anybody's going to start the year with the closer job? Or is it going to be more of a committee? I think I think he has the best chance if it's not a committee. I think the Royals want him to be the guy. Um that and this I, I haven't heard anything definitive on this. Uh as you said, roster resource has four guys listed as a closer. I think if we asked four people we'd get four different answers <laughs> uh i think the royals want it to be macarthur both days i think i do buy into the arbitration eligible players being held out of closing situations to save money i do believe in that i, I think it's been proven so a guy like will smith becomes an option he's the only lefty in the bullpen right now so will smith will get some saves but they're not going to save him for the ninth, I don't believe. So I think they'd be counting on MacArthur usually in those situations. Uh, then we have a guy who's no longer arbitration eligible in Nick Anderson, who many people think can get some saves. I, I think he's probably the, the, a secondary um, hope for the Royals. And then... Yeah, the, the guy you haven't heard of, I'm sure this is the guy you haven't heard of, yeah. uh, uh, Ryan McMillan. Um, there, there's a lot of excitement here, and now we're talking arbitration eligible. The good thing is these guys, they're, they're young. They're not arbitration eligible even yet in 2025, so maybe the Royals don't even bring that into consideration yet. But yes, this is a big headache for fantasy baseball players. Uh, I have taken a shot. You, you know what? Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I have drafted every one of these guys in different yeah. leagues, <laughs> uh, depending on where where they are and the type of league and where we're drafting them, right? Yeah. Uh, guys like Nick Anderson and 
and and Will Smith that we'd be happy to use late in the year in a draft and hold, even if they're not getting the saves, just uh, getting us some good innings here and there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I pulled the trigger on every one of these guys. I think if I had to pick a guy that's going to lead the Royals in saves for 2024, it's James MacArthur. And if he doesn't, it's because he didn't pitch well early in the season. I think he gets the opportunity. Yeah, I think he probably will get the opportunity to start. Maybe if there's a lefty heavy ninth inning coming up, then you might see Will Smith. Uh, you know, you're placing the Yankees and it's they're starting off with Soto and whoever. You, you might see Will Smith uh, from time to time as well. Now, for the average player, because we talk a lot in terms of draft champions and, and whatnot, but like we talked about earlier, most people aren't playing draft champions. Let's say you're playing in your home league, you're playing with your buddies, 12-team league. Is it better to just kind of avoid this situation altogether, or do you think there's enough value baked into the price where you can take a shot on these guys in shallow formats as well? I think I could take a shot on one of them late yeah. in the draft. Um, especially, um, I have started to look at early season schedules. Uh, I haven't looked at every team's schedule yet, but I have started looking at them. Kansas City plays a lot of games early. Uh, the The first full week of the season is a seven-game week. Then they have two six-game weeks and then another seven-game week. None of those dreaded five-game weeks for those of us uh, making weekly lineups, uh, especially on the pitching side. So I, if you take a shot on one of these guys late, if you think he's the guy because they are playing a lot of games early in the season, and, and there's some opportunity here. Kevin, I think we've covered a, a lot of the Royals. Have we missed anything? Is there anything pertinent for fantasy managers that we haven't gone over yet, you think? prospects or, or anything i really don't think so i think things have to go really wrong on the injury front and and he be tearing the cover off the ball at triple a for nick prado to to become a thing in, in kansas city again right now unfortunately for him I, I i'm rooting for him but the way the lineup's looking right now hopefully um he's not needed and would really have to really play his way into anything. Um, I, I mentioned Nick Lofton a couple of times. I'm big on him. He would be a utility guy probably at first. Could replace Michael Massey at second base if things go horribly wrong there. And then deeper leagues, draft and holds, we might see Tyler Gentry in 2024, uh, especially if Kyle Isbell does not work out uh in in out in the outfield um i don't think i don't think they're gonna just leave drew waters in the minor leagues i think they're gonna move him somehow uh and so tyler gentry would be the next outfielder up if there's a need there but uh nick lofton's the main guy that that's not going to start the season with the team that i'm keeping an eye on definitely take note if you're in a draft and hold uh to uh, take a look at some of these guys that kev is mentioning I don't know about Prado. I, I I think you're right. Like a lot of things have to break right for a lot of these guys to to get playing time, and not only just playing time, but then to have fantasy relevance for us. I think the main guys we're talking about here are obviously Bobby Witt, Melendez, Pasquantino, Sal Perez, and I think the good you know first six or seven guys. Most of the lineup, I think there is fantasy viability. You move into the rotation, it's mostly Reagans with some intrigue, a little bit on Waka and Lugo, and then. Uh, some deeper league potential on Brady Singer. And then the, the pen is a bit of a mess, but I think spring training will 
will help us kind of figure out exactly what is going to happen there to some extent anyway we never know for sure i wish we did and if <laughs> if teams cared about fantasy managers there would be no committees every team would have one closer and we'd all it would all be nice and easy but that's why we bring guys like kev on to try and break things down so i really appreciate you taking the time my friend it's been a great time catching up Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Joe. Always love talking baseball with you. And yeah, this is a, a, the Royals are a tricky lineup. They're they're not quite going to be playing the matchups like we've seen the Giants uh, over the past few years. Tampa, of course, notorious for, but they're not going to roll out the, the entire lineup every day like Atlanta either. They're kind of in between there, so it's a little tricky. But I, I think if we're paying attention in spring and early first couple of weeks of the season, some of it's going to work itself out pretty quickly for us. Yeah, that'll be the time to make those moves in spring training first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, make sure you stay on top of it. Kev, I want to give you a chance. Uh, I know I said it off the top what you got going on, but just remind everybody if you got any work you want to plug, any podcasts or articles or anything coming up. Oh, I'm over at uh, Pitcher List, uh, Pitcher List Podcast Network, co-host of On the Wire with Adam Howe. Uh, we drop early Sunday mornings. In season, we don't record until as late as we possibly can on Saturday evenings. So that's as up to date as possible for everybody. Uh, large percentage of us doing our fab runs on Sunday evening. Uh, in season, uh, we talk about other topics besides fab, but usually geared a little bit towards the that subject matter a little bit uh we're doing our uh category uh rankings mainly or or conversations uh we don't do team by team previews or um uh category by category previews necessarily but we do a group we do power we uh stolen bases We've done our saves coming up this weekend. I believe we are talking opportunity, talking lineups. And of course, who better to have talking lineups than Mike Curland as our guest for, for this week's episode. So yeah, check us out in the off season and then definitely uh, discussing fab in season over at uh, Pitcher List Podcast Network. I said it off the top, you guys should be listening. Whether or not you do fab, whether or not that's your method for picking players up, they're going to be talking about the guys that are the pertinent pickups of the week. If it's a waiver format, if it's a free-for-all, whatever it is, make sure you are checking out Kev and Adam on the weekends. And they got Curlin. They got our buddy Mike Curlin this week to talk lineup, so that's always fun. I listen to the show regularly. I'm in the listener league. Uh, it's always great interacting with, with Kevin Adam, but... We'll let you go. We will talk again tomorrow. Probably going to do another team preview. We're still getting some things down schedule-wise. But you keep up to date on all that over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. I tweet out pretty much everything that I do, probably to an excessive amount. But you guys stay caught up over there. And, of course, Ethos Fantasy BB is where you get all the different updates for our draft guide articles and all that. Uh, make sure you're following Kevin as well, at HastingKevin on the Twitter and check out on the wire, but we'll be back tomorrow guys until then take care and have a great night. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, that's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.